and Naomi, my name's Sam, I'm one of the elders here in the church. Yesterday I had the privilege of walking my daughter down the aisle and then uh, doing her wedding ceremony, uh, which was pretty amazing. It, it, definitely a lot of pollen in the area of our way, it makes the eyes water a little bit, but anyway, these are the wrestles we have. All right, if you are going to follow along with us in the scriptures this morning, we are working through the book of 2 Peter and we are in chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. So, just to recap, get you up to speed where we have been recently in this letter. We have been, according to Peter, given everything required for life and godliness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've been given everything required for life and godliness because we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've also been given very great and precious promises to cling to, to receive encouragement from, as we are on the journey of being conformed into the image of Christ. Now, as the Spirit works within you to conform you into the image of Christ, you are going to grow in Christ-like attributes. You're going to grow in virtues that are consistent with being God's children. So what we saw last week is that faith brings us into relationship with God and love will drive us to continue to grow in all the other virtues. Okay, so faith brings us into relationship, love will continue to drive us to grow in virtue. This week, we're going to get to why. Why is it necessary to grow in these virtues? So last week, we sort of looked at what the virtues are. This week, we're looking at why do we need to grow in them? Firstly, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever remember at high school or at uni receiving knowledge that had absolutely no real application in life? Anyone, anyone ever get... Oh, gee, there's a lot of hands going up. I was thinking about this and I was like, surely I really hope our doctors and nurses don't have their hands up. Uh, and then I was like, you know what, they probably just did, um, which is a real shame. A whole lot of theory worked out by someone in an office somewhere that has no real-life application. It's just basically every decision by politicians, right? Um, it's just people in offices who don't really seem to get it. Well, I've seen uh, a lot of memes that go around, and uh, one of the classic ones that I see uh, is a picture of a chippy, and they're shaking their head at an architect. And because the architect designed something which looks pretty, and of course the chippy is like, that cannot work in practice. It looks great, but it has no actual practical application. Or we have that old saying, those who can't do, teach. Sorry, teachers. Uh, but, but that's the old saying, right? Those who can't t do, teach. So... Uh, the belief being that if you're not practically useful, then you go and teach people what you don't know to begin with. Um, it's okay, I'm a teacher, Bible teacher, right? So, um, right, but th these are some of the things that go around. Now, why do I mention all of this? Well, I mention it because Christianity is full of knowledge. 
There is a lot to learn. The richness of theology, the, the depths of understanding as much as we can of God and what Jesus did for us on the cross is amazing. However, our knowledge, our pursuit of knowledge is not and should not be useless, right? It has practical application because our knowledge first and foremost brings us to God through our knowledge of the gospel. And then as we grow in our knowledge, it reveals more of God to us as we study to know him more which in turn builds more of Christ in us as we worship him and focus on him, right? So our knowledge is practical. It's not useless because it's revealing God to you. And the more it reveals God to you, you will grow into his likeness. That's where we're at this morning. This is what we want to see, what it looks like for Christ to be working in you and through you. So if you have your Bible there, we're up to 2 Peter 1, and we're looking at 8 to 11. 2 Peter 1, 8 to 11. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Amen. All right, so we begin with for, which I keep telling you means, what is it there for? So we've always got to say, what is for? Well, it flows directly from the eight virtues that we looked at last week. So last week, we looked at eight virtues that we should all be growing in. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. For, if you possess those qualities, those eight qualities, in increasing measure. So this word here means that you have these qualities as a Christian and that they should be increasing as you get to know God more. Those eight virtues are meant to be overflowing out of you so that others would say you are characterized by them. Right? You should be known by those eight godly virtues because you're growing in them and they are flowing out of you. Why? Because Christ has given everything you need to have them. They are the outworking of the internal change the Holy Spirit is bringing in your life. And you are making every effort to grow in them as well. So the Spirit is working that inward transformation and you are making every effort to grow in these virtues. Now I would sincerely hope in this church that we would all agree that we are saved by grace through faith. We would talk about this a fair bit. But these qualities are the outworking 
of being saved by grace through faith. These are the qualities that can be seen and felt, particularly in your relationships with others, as the outworking of your inward transformation. Okay, They should be seen and felt by others as the outworking of your inward transforma- uh, transformation. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about the people in the church. Look around if you need to, stare at someone, right? Just, I want you to think just about this for a moment. If you had to, in your mind, picture someone in this church who is your prime example goodness. I wonder who you would think of. Who exemplifies goodness to you in this church? Have you got someone in mind? Really? No one is good but Christ alone, except in Christ we're being molded into his image and we should be growing in goodness according to the word of God. So right, who is good? Who's growing in goodness in the church? If you picture someone who's growing in goodness, great. You're supposed to be like that as well. Right? So whoever it is you're thinking of, that's meant to be you because you are being molded into the likeness of Christ. What about knowledge? So someone in the church whose knowledge of God, whose depth of knowledge of God you admire, that's good. That's meant to be you as well. Because you're supposed to be growing in that same virtue because it is the outward working of an inward transformation. Endurance, affection, whatever it is, whoever you picture and go, gee, that person in the church, good, that's meant to be you as well. Because this is the outworking of inward transformation. Peter puts it like this. They, these virtues, will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be an architect of theology. I'm digging a hole here. Sorry, architect, seriously. Um, We, our knowledge of God, starting with the gospel that Jesus paid the penalty of your sin, bearing its guilt and shame, having defeated sin and death, rose again, guaranteeing you life in his name for the glory of God, right? That's the beginning of the gospel. That's how we start our knowledge of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, through to the hypostatic union. Anyone want to define the hypostatic union for me right now? Most of you are saying, what is that? Hypostatic union is how can Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time? Right now, that is an area of theology that if you want to wrap your head around for hours and hours and hours to your utter confusion, go for it. It's difficult. But everything from your initial knowledge of God through to the hypostatic union is meant to result in the growth of the character of Christ in you. That is what this knowledge should be doing. Your pursuit of Christ, your knowing the Word, is meant to result in the growth of Christ's character in you. That's what the pursuit of knowledge is about in the church. 
I said last week, when you read the Word, the Word reads you. It points out your flaws. It humbles you. It encourages you to grow. It shows you things to work and build on. Otherwise, says Peter, you are useless. Right? That's why I started this message like I, I started it. The knowledge for knowledge's sake in the church is useless. The point of your knowledge is to bring you closer to God, and as you get closer to God, you will reflect His character more, resulting in His glory. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge is useless. Or as James would put it, faith without works is dead. Well, knowledge without character transformation is useless and potentially dead. You can memorize the entire Bible. You can fluently learn your Hebrew and Greek. You can dazzle everybody with your amazing pinpoint eschatology and be completely useless and unfruitful in the kingdom of God. Those things do not equal a servant of Christ. Where is your love of the bride and desire to build the body up with the gifts he's given you? Where is your love of the lost and desire to make disciples and teach them everything that Christ commanded? Where's your brotherly affection? Where's your endurance? These are the outworkings of the knowledge that we are pursuing. I love this uh, story. From, many of you might have heard of Dwight L. Moody. Uh, this is a story Dwight L. Moody told. A man once testified in one of Dwight Moody's meetings that he had literally lived on the Mount of Transfiguration for five years. Right? What a bragging point to Christians. I've been living on the Mount of Transfiguration. I am so spiritual. Dwight L. Moody said, how many souls did you lead to Christ last year? Well, the man hesitated. I don't know. Have you saved any? Moody persisted. I don't know that I have, the man admitted. Well, said Moody, we don't want the kind of mountaintop experience where a man gets up so high that he cannot reach down and save poor sinners. There is something wrong. Your knowledge of Christ and his word should result in your changed life, a life of godliness that flows through you to people. Don't have the arrogance to sit around caring nothing for Christ's people, nothing for his bride, and presume that you are wise in the knowledge of God. Because that kind of knowledge is useless and will not lead to eternal life. So what is wrong with a person like this, full of knowledge but no outworking? Well, Peter tells us in verse 9, right? That's what verse 9 is about, this person. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Blind and short-sighted is an interesting phrase, isn't it? 
How can you be blind and short-sighted? And why put them in that order? Fairly sure if you're blind, you're going to be pretty short-sighted. Right? That person is blind and short-sighted. Peter is saying that for people who profess faith but lack these virtues, they are fruitless, they are useless. The reality is they are blind. How are they blind? They're blind to their faults because they're short-sighted. That's what he's saying. In other words, these people have begun to live in the now. They've let the worries and cares of the day take over and take root in their life. The outcome of this is they lack love, they lack endurance, they lack affection, they lack self-control. Why? Because they are short-sighted and the world is filling their gaze. Why do they lack these virtues? Why do you lack these virtues? Because your love of the world will rob your love of the bride. Because your strength and energy that you devote to pursuing things of the world will rob your endurance for the things of God. Your love of worldly things will control you so that you have no self-control. Your love of self and your own comfort will rob you of your brotherly affection. You see, our problem is our pursuit of the world destroys godly virtues. And instead they become worldly virtues tainted by the flesh. So what is Peter's solution to the problem? He says they are short-sighted and have forgotten their cleansing from past sins. Now, Peter here with this word cleansing is talking about baptism. Now, I know this always gets tricky for people because you're like, ooh, we're saved by baptism, are we? Is that what this verse is saying? Cleanse from pastors, cleanse by baptism. No, remember this. I just like to make this point occasionally. In the New Testament, you believed and what happened immediately? Baptism, and I mean immediately. When someone shared with you the gospel and you said, I believe that, hey, there's some water baptized, right? That's how quick it would happen. And so they linked baptism and salvation together because they were intimately linked. They happened at the same time. So if you said, I got baptized for forgiveness of sins, it's literally because you believed and were baptized. Does that make sense? It always happened at the same time. So what Peter is saying is this. Uh, You've forgotten the past cleansing from sins. And what he has in mind is you have forgotten God's grace to you. Let me ask you a question. Bring to mind the moment you were first aware of God's grace to you. Not in general. Not memories you might have of Sunday school or singing songs or camps. But the first time you knew that you were a sinner and that meant death. The first time you knew that you were a sinner and that meant death. 
but you understood that Jesus took your place. And you understood that he paid the penalty of your sin. And you understood that you had righteousness because Christ's grace was greater than your sin. The first time you could sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me from the bottom of your heart. You could see God's grace. You could feel God's mercy. You knew the price he had paid. You felt humbled. You felt in awe. Peter says, remember. Remember what it was like to experience God's mercy and grace. Remember what it was like to to feel the weight of your sin lifted by Christ. Remember what it was like to be his child. And stop living like a person who has never been born again. Stop living like a person who has never experienced that grace. Stop living like a person who is not overwhelmed by the depth of his love. Peter is saying, lift your eyes to Christ again and remember. Remember that feeling of joy and release, of of, of losing guilt and shame, of, of just overwhelming gratitude. Come back to that place. Let go of the worldly things that tempt us and come back to what you had in the beginning. And that is the answer to coming back to godly virtue. Coming back to what Christ alone can give you. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Ongoing effort based in grace. Based in remembering what Christ has done, the grace, the forgiveness that we just talked about, remembering that, remembering the life you have been given, make every effort. This is Peter's answer to you growing in these godly virtues, church. Bring yourself back to that moment you first experienced grace, and in that place of joy at the forgiveness of Christ, in that place of knowing it's not about the works you do, Make every effort, right? Because it comes out of the correct place, not burdened by guilt, not burdened by shame, not trying to earn something, but it comes out of the grace you've already received. Make every effort. Who likes doing personality tests? Come on. There's a few people willing to admit it. Right, there's all kinds of them out there now, aren't there? Like some love the Myers Briggs and stuff. And then literally, if you go on social media, you can like you can find out what type of speaker you are. Like it's ridiculous. There is a test for everything. You know, what sort of vegetable are you? The one who does this test. Anyway, um, there's all these kind of that they test everything out there now. 
Now, I don't mind these things, and they're pretty good for team situations, helping people understand their team members' strengths and weaknesses. Where they fail, though, is if we use them as an excuse for not doing the things we should be doing. For instance, I'm an introvert. I don't really do people. Okay, well, you can never be an elder. Because one of the qualifications of an elder is to be hospitable. So if you desire to hold the office of elder, which is a good thing according to Scripture, and you're not hospitable, then what do you need to do? Work on being hospitable. Make every effort is what Peter said. Right? Peter did not say, do Myers-Briggs wherever you're weak, just forget it. No, 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 make every effort. So in grace, coming back to the cross, coming back to, to what you've received, make every effort. In each one of those virtues we looked at, and as I've said, these eight virtues are not meant to be the sum total of Christianity. In all godly virtues, we are meant to come in grace back to these and go, where am I weak and that is meant to then challenge us to make every effort to grow in those areas. Personality is real, is it not? True? Different strengths and weaknesses? True? Absolutely, right? 100%. But this is the character of Christ. And we should all be growing in it if we are here. Now, the areas we struggle in will be different, but we're all called to make every effort. The Word is saying, if you're weak in areas, come back to grace and work hard at growing in them. It's a lot like the parable of the soils, isn't it? Some, some seed fell on good soil and it produced a harvest, and then some seed fell on uh, rocky soil and some seed was choked out by cares and worries of the world. Our job is to rest in grace and then work hard at staying away from the world and growing in godly virtues. Are we saved for good works? No. Are we saved to good works? Yes. Must we attain godliness to be saved? No. Once saved, are we to be growing in godliness? Yes. Peter says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, we could take that to mean you will never sin, but that's just not accurate. Jesus, teach us how to pray. What did he say? For, forgive us our sins. Right? Like, we're never going to be without sin. But Peter is saying this, if you remember your conversion if you rejoice in Christ's salvation, if you understand the grace of God walking in you, when you cling to the joy and grace of salvation and let that lead you into growing in godly virtue, then you will never fall away. All right? If you cling to grace, cling to what it was like when you were first born again, and let that lead you to godly virtue, you will never fall away. This is the issue with those he was writing to. Some had had a conversion experience, but as they went on, they were not enduring. They were not self-controlled. 
Rather confronting their sin, they were changing the word to accommodate their sin. Peter's saying, no. Remember the grace of God. Remember the freedom he won for you. And let grace and freedom lead you to growing in godly character. To finish with verse 11, for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. For in this way. What way? Well, in the context of the living out of these virtues, right? For in this way of growing in these godly virtues, of being fruitful in these virtues, you will gain entry into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In short, entry into the kingdom of heaven will not be through salvation by works, but salvation with works, right? Not by salvation by works, but by salvation with works, the evidence of the fruit of the gospel in your life. Think about it. If I were to say to you, church, that I'm a preacher, God has gifted me to preach, I've studied the word, I've had formal training. In fact, if you come in my office, I can show you some certificates and I never preached, ever. What would you think about it? Rings a bit hollow, doesn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm a preacher. I just don't preach. Well, I hope you'd be skeptical. But likewise, we can say we're a Christian. We can list out the traits of being a Christian. We can become partners in the church. But if people never see the character of Christ in us, then something is terribly wrong. Because Christ is working to bring about godly virtue in your life as you bring him glory, as you are made into his likeness. When our faith meets love and outworks in godliness and fruitfulness, Peter says we will have a rich welcome into eternity. The word rich here indicates gracious, more than we deserve. In other words, says Peter, make every effort now on the basis of grace and your welcome into eternity will be so much greater than you could ever deserve for the effort you've put in. There are three options for you this morning, church, just three, as you're sitting here. One, you're walking after Jesus, walking in the Spirit, growing in godliness, bearing fruit for the kingdom. You are not perfect, but you're growing, repenting when you need to, loving Christ and his people. Praise God if that's you this morning. Keep pursuing his glory, and the word says you will be richly welcomed into eternity. And that is some of you this morning. I said, I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're pursuing Christ and you're bearing fruit and amen. What a wonderful thing. Secondly, you might be a Christian this morning, you, but somewhere along the way you've grieved the Spirit. Somewhere along the way you let the world and its desires get 
beg. And you lost the joy of being forgiven, of feeling nothing but gratitude. And although you once bore fruit, the only fruit you now bear is bitter to the taste. The word says repent. Remember what Christ did for you. Come back to that feeling of sins forgiven and overwhelming grace. Repent and ask forgiveness, and he is faithful and just to forgive, and you will be richly welcomed into eternity. Repent. Come back to grace. Or thirdly, you've never experienced grace and forgiveness. And you could be brand new to this church this morning, or maybe you've been coming for 50 years but you simply don't know what I'm talking about. You've never experienced what it's like to feel the burden lifted as the grace of Christ washes over you. It's time for you to die to self, to repent of your sin, your rebellion against God, and experience the joy of salvation. Repent and believe. You may have believed before, but have you repented? Have you turned away from your pride? Have you turned away from your appearance? You must die to the world and its desires and experience the joy of Christ. And you can know what it's like to have the overwhelming peace that what waits for you on that deathbed is opening your eyes to the glory of Christ and the rich reward he has for you. That's what he's offering. No matter where you fit in those three scenarios this morning, grace and joy are yours if you forsake the world and follow Jesus. Grow in godliness. Grow in grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it challenges us. Lord, every time we read it, we see flaws. We see the, the areas that we need to grow in. But Lord, it never condemns. Because once again, you point us back to remember grace. Remember the cross. Remember that first moment of that overwhelming sense of gratitude because we realized it was all about you and not about us. Lord, bring each one of us to that place. Resting in your grace, knowing our sins are forgiven. Lord, may we then make every effort to grow in godly virtue. Lord, that rich welcome into eternity sits before us. Lord, may that give us joy when times are hard. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.